Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets in the car, while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Guess what, Mango? What's that, Will? So I was looking up little American influences around the world. You know, like how in Japan, a hot dog is called a hata dogu, <laughs> but a corn dog is called an American dogu. I love that. What else you got? Potlucks are called American parties in the Netherlands. And one of my favorites, brass knuckles are referred to as an American fist in France. <laughs> But the thing I wanted to tell you about was this little town in Brazil called Americana. So basically, when the Confederacy lost the Civil War, about 20,000 Confederates fled to Brazil, where they established two colonies. There was New Texas and Americana. But what's crazy is that it still has this touch of America there. You can spot rocking chairs on porches, <laughs> families still speak English with a southern drawl, and they still make sweet potato pies. <laughs> This has all been passed down since the 1860s. That is crazy. Yeah, but it got me wondering, if we ever decided to leave America, what's the most non-American American place out there? Is it another country? Is it a U.S. territory? And what is it that makes America America? I mean, other than corn dogs, of course. <laughs> Let's dive in. Hey there, podcast listeners. Welcome to Part-Time Genius. I'm Will Pearson, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend Mangesh Hatikader. And today we're talking about the most American places in the world, at least ones that just so happen to be located outside the U.S. That's right. We're going to look at some foreign places that, for one reason or another, have a very distinct American feel. And we're also going to explore a few offshore territories to see which parts of the states have rubbed off on them. And to help make sense of these somewhat mysterious locales, we'll be talking with Doug Mack, author of the book, The Not-Quite-States of America. Now, Doug spent a year touring the U.S. territories and came away with all kinds of amazing information about the parts of our own country that many of us tend to forget even exist. I'm super excited to talk to him. And for our quiz today, we've also got a couple of part-time geniuses calling in from Washington, D.C. 
We're going to hear their thoughts on living in a city that's got quite a chip on its shoulder thanks to its not-quite status. Yeah, D.C. residents are not shy about their frustration (laughs) with the federal district's lack of statehood. I mean, for almost 20 years now, the motto on their license plates has been taxation without representation. Compare that to what most states put on their plates, and you'll get a sense of how heavily the whole not-a-state thing weighs on them. I know. Most states use the space to brag about their accomplishments. Like, Ohio's plate touts it as the birthplace of aviation, and Utah uses the plate to boast that they have the greatest snow on Earth. How did Utah determine that it has the best snow in the world? (laughs) It seems pretty subjective. I mean, who's to say theirs is the greatest? I know, it's funny, because states get away with ridiculous statements like that all the time. Like, Virginia is for lovers? Come on now. It was a very scientific study. So, And it's the same with Utah. Fact checkers have shown that it isn't the driest or the fluffiest or the most abundant snow, but they call their unique mixture of snow the best on Earth. Unique mixture. When you try to think of a country that's most like the United States, what comes to mind first? Oh, it's got to be our neighbor to the north, right? Exactly, or at least in theory. I mean, Canada is likely the place the average American would say they'd feel most at home. And that's partly because most Americans have a really positive view of Canada. So last September, a poll from NBC and the Wall Street Journal showed that 75% of Americans surveyed viewed Canada favorably, while only 3% had a negative view of Canada. And by the way, those were the highest ratings in the poll. People liked Canada more than any other person or entity they were asked about. That's pretty incredible. But, I mean, I don't know who those 3% are because I can't imagine anyone actively disliking Canada. Yeah, me either. Everyone knows they're pretty much like the nicest people on Earth. Plus, they're a land of great comedy like Lorne Michaels, Samantha Bee, the kids in the hall. That's right. I was going to say kids in the hall. Mainly just kids in the hall, right? So what's not to like? But you know what's funny? Remember how much love Canada got the night of the 2016 election? Sure. As the votes were tallied, there were all these reports about Canada's immigration site crashing due to a stampede of less than enthused Americans. But what's interesting is that it wasn't just a 2016 phenomenon. Every election year, thousands of Americans on both sides of the aisle threatened to jump ship to Canada should the, quote, wrong candidate win. Yeah, well, the underlining thought is clearly that even if life in Canada isn't the same as life in the U.S., it's close enough. Yeah, hopping the border to Canada is apparently the plan B for lots of Americans, or at least they pretend it is. It's kind of a, if things go south, I'll go north mentality. (laughs) But the reality is it's a whole lot harder to immigrate to Canada than most people think. Even if you have a job in Canada, even if you're married to a Canadian, (laughs) becoming a citizen can be time consuming and requires a crazy amount of paperwork. But even setting aside the difficulty of becoming a citizen, there's still the question of whether living in Canada would really feel comparable to life here in the States. Is Canada all that American, really? I mean, don't get me wrong. There's a great deal of crossover, but it's hardly a one to one. Yeah, Canadian culture isn't too far from what we find stateside, and the food, for the most part, isn't that exotic. Though they do have stuff like poutine-flavored potato chips and camel meat, apparently. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think that sounds very American. (laughs) Because we share the same continent, our economies and environmental concerns are intertwined. But yeah, there would definitely be some growing pains involved for American transplants. For example, according to Canadian business, buying stuff online is much more of a challenge in Canada than it is in the U.S. I like that you go straight to shopping as the litmus <laughs> test for whether a place feels truly American. But OK, what makes e-commerce worse in Canada? Is it the spotty Wi-Fi? Not exactly. In fact, Canadians are more likely to have access to the Internet than residents of any other G20 nation. And that includes the U.S., Canadian citizens have long since embraced the digital age, but Canadian businesses are a totally different story. Fewer than half of all Canadian companies have websites, much less the ability to sell their products online. 
Well, that would definitely be a rude awakening for many Americans. And I think the weather in Canada would be an even ruder <laughs> one. I don't want to blow your mind here, Mango, but it gets pretty chilly in Canada. Yeah, that's a good point. There are parts of the U.S. that experience some freezing cold winters, but that's true of all of Canada. In fact, Canada vies with Russia for the title of coldest country in the world. Oh, wow. The average daily annual temperature in the Great White North? A balmy 22 degrees Fahrenheit. Yikes, just thinking about that makes me uh, want to reach for the thermostat. <laughs> so, But I'm glad we're touching on climate. That's one of the major points of departure you're going to run into with any stand-in for the states. Yeah, our location and the sheer size of the continental U.S. allows for a lot of diversity in terms of geography and climate. That's an aspect of life in America that's tough for a lot of regions to match, even if they do have same-day delivery from Amazon. <laughs> but I think the biggest obstacle in trying to find another country that feels American is the history itself. What do you mean by that? Well, a country's history and the sense that it's shared by the people who live there, that's a large part of what makes a place feel like home. Countries like Canada and Australia have similar histories of European colonization to that of the U.S. That's maybe part of the reason they feel more American to us. Still, all the specifics of those histories and the cultures they spurred are very different. And it's those kind of details that really seem to help us identify ourselves as Americans. Yeah, that sounds right to me. I mean, imagine an America where the people didn't feel a swell of pride when they spotted the Statue of Liberty or feel a twinge of childhood nostalgia when they heard notes from Yankee Doodle. Could you ever really say a place like that felt American? Well, plenty of people wouldn't be so lofty in describing what makes America America. I mean, it's not for nothing that we have the largest economy in the world. Americans like to spend money, and we have tons of options for where to spend it. See, it all comes back to shopping. <laughs> it really is inescapable. I mean, look at fast food. For better or worse, it's become synonymous with American culture. So any stand-in country worth its salt would have its fair share of golden arches. Now, it's no surprise that the U.S. leads in the total number of McDonald's restaurants at about 14,000. <laughs> but there are a few countries that are gaining ground. China, for instance, has around 2,000 McDonald's in Japan. Nearly 3,000. Whoa, they're really catching up. In fact, U.S. sales now only account for about 31% of McDonald's total revenues, according to Investopedia. The rest comes from countries that are fast adapting to American taste. And it's not just burgers. The KFC chain has become ubiquitous in Asian markets. Yeah, I get that. I mean, KFC has been steadily expanding in both Japan and China for the past decade. China has even overtaken the U.S. for a number of total KFCs. More than 4,500. Oh, wow. So is Kentucky Fried Chicken more Chinese than American now? Well, it's actually more Japanese. Oh, really? How's that? For one thing, KFC's mascot, Colonel Sanders, is hugely popular in Japan. He's emphasized in all the marketing. The employee uniforms even include his trademark bolo tie. They even have a Colonel mascot costume with a big emoji-style head for the customers to take selfies with. <laughs> It's a little bit creepy. I mean, he was also the founder, right? A real person. It's sort of like if Disneyland had employees wearing big Walt Disney masks prowling the park instead of Mickey Mouse. Thankfully, that's something even the international Disney parks have avoided doing. <laughs> but it does get me thinking, could Disney theme parks be some of the most American places in the world? Well, you might be onto something there. Last year, Branding Magazine polled nearly 5,000 people between 16 and 65. They asked them to evaluate the patriotism of 248 U.S. brands. Any idea who was at the top of the list? <laughs> I'm going to go on a limb here and say uh, Disney. That's right. In fact, 98% associated the Disney brand with U.S. patriotism. Yeah, a steady exposure to American brands and entertainment has gone a long way toward making other parts of the world feel a little more American. 
for better or for worse. In fact, that's even true of our own offshore territories, which are their own unique mixes of island native and modern American cultures. Very true. But before we get into the strange, not at all straightforward world of U.S. territories, what do you say we check in with our D.C. residents for an all-American quiz? Let's do it. So who do we have on the line today, Mango? We have Drake and Don, who are both D.C. residents. And in a strange coincidence, both of them have traveled to nearly all 50 states. Oh, wow. Yeah. So let's start with you, Will. You've been to 49 states. Is that right? That's right. So which one is missing on the list? I have not been to North Dakota yet. To North Dakota? I thought he was going to say Hawaii or Alaska. So what do you have against North Dakota? Well, uh, if you think about everything that's cool to visit in the Dakotas, whether it's Mount Rushmore or Deadwood or uh, Rapid City, that's all South Dakota. There's nothing in North Dakota. Nothing to Man, all of our North Dakota <laughs> listeners are going to be so angry after hearing this. This, is, this could get she up. She definitely right, so. will. That she, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, that's still pretty impressive. And Don, I think you've been to, what is it, 48? I've been to 48 states, yes. All right. And what's missing on your list? So what's missing is Wyoming and Alaska. But so as somebody that has visited North Dakota, you haven't lived until you've had dinner in Bismarck. (laughs) (laughs) Some bold words. I like that. Yeah. All right. Well, actually, Drake, you're also in the process of uh, striking off another list, and that is visiting every Major League Baseball park in America. Now, how many of you hit at this point? Uh, As of a few days ago, 26. Wow. Okay. All right. 26 out of, how many are there, 30? 30. They're 30, yeah. Okay, okay, well done. All right, well, let's get to it. We've got two D.C. residents here to play a game, and what's the game called, Mango? It's a little quiz called D.C. or not D.C. All right, so we'll read a statement about Washington, D.C., and if you think it's true, you'll say D.C. If you think it's false, you'll say not D.C. Not that confusing, all right? So you'll be working as a team. We thought D.C. residents need to stick together in all of their anger over not being a state, so we're going to let you collaborate. You guys ready? Sounds good. Ready. All right, let's do it. Question number one. It wasn't until 1961 that D.C. residents got the right to vote in presidential elections. D.C. or not D.C.? I'm not sure of the date, but that sounds right. What do you think, Don? Uh, I don't know why it would have been 1960. I'm going to go not D.C., actually. I, I think it, mm. I think we've been able to vote presidential longer. Mm. All right, I'm going to defer. <laughs> All right, he's deferring. He's such a gentleman, but unfortunately it, it is. D.C. The uh, 23rd Amendment uh, gave them the right. Wow. Yeah. And they first exercised that right in the 1964 election. So Don was actually thinking along the right lines of like, why would it be 1961 when it wasn't exercised until 64? So I think we should give him half a point for like putting that reasoning together. So let's let's do that. So <laughs> Just like D.C.'s half a state. <laughs> that's right. That's right. All right. Not Not even. All right. Question number two. Underneath D.C., there's a semi-secret metro line that runs congressmen and staffers between the office buildings. That is true. All right. Absolutely. D.C. Yep, yep. What's it called? It's called the Capitol Subway System, and it makes over 200 runs a day. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. So they have one and a half points so far. Let's see what happens next. Question number three. When Nixon accepted the gift of two pandas to D.C.'s National Zoo... He returned the favor by sending them a pair of RCA speakers and a collection of Danny Kay records. D.C. or not D.C.? It's just dumb enough that it might be true. I don't know. <laughs> what do you think, Don? That sounds like a that sounds like a tacky, tacky American thing to do. Who is it? Danny Kay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's not, is that not the jam you were listening to before you 
Call them. I just turned off their eight track. Okay. Right. I'm gonna go DC. Yeah, it, me too. It's actually not DC. Nixon actually sent them a gift that was way tackier, a pair of muskox named Milton and Matilda. And according to the New York Times, they weren't exactly quality cattle. Milton in particular was complaining of post-nasal drip, a cough, and his hair seemed to be falling out on arrival. What a sweet <laughs> gift. Oh, God. Okay. All right. I, I sense a storm back. They've got three questions left. All right. Question number four. While Washington, D.C. isn't a state, it does have a listed state flower, the American Beauty Rose, D.C. or not D.C.? You know what? It, sound, it sounds to me like it's probably right. Yeah, you're right. D.C. All right. Here we go. Two questions left. The first showbiz pizza opened in Washington, D.C. in 1980. Vice President George Bush joined Spain's ambassador to cut the ribbon at the opening ceremony. D.C. or not D.C.? Where does this stuff come from? <laughs> History books. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> or not. There's, there's no way that's true. There's no way that's true. <laughs> All right. I think, I think Don should probably I'm agree gonna... with you. Let's see. Yeah, not DC. <laughs> Correct. Not Good DC. Job. All right. To finish up strong <laughs> for the big prize, here we go. Question number six. Spiked dog collars were invented in Washington, D.C. by famed dog breeder Gareth Winchester to make his basset hounds look more intimidating. D.C. or not D.C.? I'm going. No, I'm not going. Not DC. Not DC. <laughs> Correct. Wait, not DC. Who? Who is Gareth Winchester? We don't know who Gareth Winchester. Oh, he is. just made that name up. <laughs> well done. Okay, so how did these guys done? Our contestants got a stunning 4.5 out of five. So not only will they get the note to their mom or boss from us singing their praises, but we're also sending them a vintage Republican congressional cookbook filled with delicious American recipes fans of any political party can enjoy. So congratulations, Don and Drake. Thanks for joining us on Part-Time Genius. No problem. All right. Thank you, guys. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. 
With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. You're listening to Part-Time Genius, and we're talking about the most American places in the world. So, Mango, we've been focusing on places that somehow feel American despite being outside of the United States. But before the break, you touched on the topic of U.S. territories. Yeah, the territories are like these incredible scattered American gems that are sadly overlooked by most of us. Puerto Rico is the most famous by far of the five inhabited U.S. territories, the other four being the U.S. Virgin Islands, which is also in the Caribbean, plus American Samoa, Guam, and the Northern Mariana Islands in the Pacific. There are also about a dozen uninhabited islands that also technically count as American soil. All right, so there are five of them. That is not something I could have told you before, and I feel like we need a way to commit them to memory, and you know how much I like mnemonic devices, Mango. Can we just take a minute to come up with a good way to remember all five? That's a great idea. Okay, so if we go by population size from largest to smallest, that gives us Puerto Rico, Guam, U.S. Virgin Islands, American Samoa, and Northern Mariana Islands, P-G-U-A-N. Mm, I was kind of hoping it would make a word there by itself. <laughs> All right, well, let's think about this then. How about, let's see, P-G-U-A-N. P-Guan. that's not a word. All right, pancakes grow under a, a nice tree. A ni- <laughs> Nice tree is one word, by the way, so don't call me out on that. Pancakes grow under a nice tree. That's how you remember it. Oh, that's good. Or maybe pickles get ugly after, man, I was going to say knifing, but that starts with a K, or uh, gnawing, which starts with a G. Stupid silent letters. so dumb. (laughs) How about uh, pickles get ugly after negotiations? Negotiations? Yeah, negotiations will wear anyone down. I was going to suggest neglect there. Yeah, but negotiation is just funnier to picture and easier to remember. All right, good point. Okay, I think we both nailed it, but we know our listeners are smarter than we are, so let's make this a contest. (laughs) Come up with a better mnemonic for how to remember the five U.S. territories, and we'll award our favorite three with Part-Time Genius t-shirts. Just send your entries along with your mailing address to parttimegenius at howstuffworks.com. Or you can find us on Facebook or Twitter. I can't wait to hear from them. Okay, back to the territories. Okay, we should note that we're following Doug Mack's lead on this by kind of broadly grouping them all together as territories, but the logistics are a little more nuanced than that. Right. A territory can either be organized or unorganized and also incorporated or unincorporated. And then there are Puerto Rico and the Northern Mariana Islands, which are officially commonwealths rather than territories. It's all maybe a little too nuanced for us to get into here. Yeah, I know there are all these distinctions that are used to describe the extent to which the Constitution and federal laws apply, as well as whether a place is fully considered part of the U.S. It's actually kind of a big mess. You can really tell that the territories were acquired without any solid long-term plan for them. I mean, 
All but 19 of the current 50 states started out as U.S. territories, but that path to statehood has never seemed like a serious option for places like Guam and the Virgin Islands. Right, which isn't to say that the U.S. claimed them without any rhyme or reason, though. Yeah, why do we start grabbing up offshore territories anyway? I know America was young, scrappy, and hungry, to borrow a phrase from Hamilton, but we were looking for ways to assert ourselves as a full-blown empire in the eyes of the rest of the world. But that seems... I don't know, sort of impractical? Well, we definitely did want that seat at the big boy table, and expanding the country's boundaries certainly got us closer to that goal. But there was actually a more practical reason, too. And you're going to like this one, but back in the early 1800s, our farming game wasn't so strong yet here in the (laughs) States. We were producing tons and tons of tobacco and cotton, but at the expense of the soil, which was fast losing all of its nutrients. Yeah, I guess George Washington Carver was still quite a few years off, so crop rotation wouldn't have been in vogue at the time. That's right. Well, we were exhausting the soil, and since industrialization was still a ways off, it was becoming a very big problem for our fledgling economy. So what's a young, growing nation to do but start mining bird poop from the barren islands off its shores? (laughs) Wait, that's why we have those territories? Well, many of them, yeah. These remote islands had been flyover spots for seabirds for thousands of years. All those years of daily deposits allowed for some pretty hefty buildups of (laughs) nutrient-rich fertilizer. I'm not kidding. And that's what American farmers needed. So Congress passed the Guano Islands Act in 1856, and we started calling dibs on all the unclaimed islands we could find. You're right. That is practical. And kind of gross, yeah, but it also (laughs) doesn't explain why we've continued to hold on to these territories. I mean, we aren't exactly hard up for fertilizer anymore, and my friends in the guano mining industry tell me the work has dropped <laughs> off significantly over the past 200 years or so. I get that nations aren't chomping at the bit to give up land. There's only so much of it in the world, after all, but there has to be more to it. I think it has a lot to do with what the U.S. got in addition to copious mounds of bird poop. <laughs> when a nation claims territory, it doesn't just get the land itself. It gains possession of the surrounding waters for miles and miles in all directions. That means carte blanche access to fishing and undersea minerals and shipping lanes. Well, not to mention the opportunity for tourism. That's big business for the territories today, one of the reasons they feel so American in some ways, even though their official status is a little shaky. Yeah, that was one of the things that jumped out to me while reading Doug Mack's book. A few of the U.S. territories are total tourist magnets, but it isn't always the people you'd expect to be visiting. Like, take the Virgin Islands, for example. Unlike the guano-rich islands, the U.S. bought these from Denmark in the early 19th century. Today, Danes flock to the U.S. Virgin Islands to get a taste of their country's colonial history. In fact, there's a weird dichotomy on the islands in that Danish tourists largely visit for the historical attractions, like museums and tours of old forts, (laughs) while American tourists visit mainly for the beaches and the duty-free shopping. Well, we have established that Americans love shopping, but (laughs) it's a little sad to hear Americans mostly think of the territories as beachfront mall. Right. And in some cases, they're not so much shopping destinations for Americans as they are for international tourists who want to feel American. You're thinking of Guam, I'm guessing? Exactly. Aside from the local population, Guam is almost entirely made up of Navy and Air Force personnel and an endless stream of tourists from Russia, China, Japan, even Korea. And for the sake of survival, the people from Guam have really had to cater to this foreign crowd. There's this great part in Doug Mack's book where he describes visiting Guam and running across an outback steakhouse. (laughs) And it's just this really surreal moment where he's outside the States looking at this Australian-themed U.S. chain restaurant with a big glowing sign that reads, America's favorite steakhouse, 
in Japanese. It was the steakhouse was written in <laughs> Japanese. That's very great. That reminds me of how Pabst Blue Ribbon was rebranded in China for luxury markets and sold for like $80 <laughs> a bottle because not only was it American, but it won a blue ribbon. And yet Zima Gold can't get any international love despite having that uh, gold in the title. <laughs> I'm not sure that's what the gold stood for, but of all the territories, Guam really stands out for catering to a particular breed of tourist. Those who want to experience all the cliche excess of U.S. culture without actually visiting the States. And I mean, it sounds like those visitors get exactly what they're after. Just listen to Doug's description of one of Guam's shopping districts. If you're so inclined, in the course of a single afternoon, you can rent a canary yellow Chevy Mustang <laughs> or a Harley Davidson, dress up like a cowboy and fire machine gun at Wild West Frontier Village, <laughs> eat a burger at the Route 66 Pub and Club, Buy a bulk-sized bag of your favorite beef jerky from the dedicated section at the souvenir shop and pose with the Statue of Liberty with a baseball field in the background <laughs> before ending the day with a Las Vegas-style magic show replete with white tigers and dancing showgirls with feathery headdresses. That um, just makes me feel patriotic right there. <laughs> yeah, that really does sound like America or maybe just Vegas. But the territories do have places that are purposefully set up to feel like mainland America. But what about the people who live there? I know that with some exceptions, they are American citizens, but do they seem like Americans? Right. Well, we know they got the shopping thing down, Pat, but maybe we should also take a look at the aspects of history and culture that we talked about earlier. I think those will really be deciding factors for what territories can be considered places that truly feel American. But before we get into that, let's break for a quiz. So our guest today is the author of this terrific book we're discussing, The Not-Quite-States of America. After realizing just how little he knew about the United States territories, he set off on a globe-hopping quest covering more than 30,000 miles to see them all. And he's here for us to ask him questions about every single one of those miles. <laughs> Doug Mack, welcome to Part-Time Genius. Hi, thanks for having me. So, Doug, tell us how this book idea came about and, and how long it took to make it happen. I mean, 30,000 miles is no short trek to uh, to see all of these places. <laughs> No, it's certainly not. Um, so I have a degree, a uh, bachelor's degree in American studies. Um, but in four years of, of, of study, we never even once talked about the U.S. territories. You know, we talked about history and and politics and literature and all this stuff about the states, though, specifically. Right. Um, and then just a, a few years ago, um, I was with my wife on a Saturday morning and she collects all the state quarters and she was putting a, a new quarter in her portfolio. And uh, she kind of said, "Late, look, you know, there are these the quarter for the for the territories." And I went, "Oh, right, we have territories," <laughs> um, which is kind of the response I get to every from everyone when I say I wrote a book with territories. It's, "Oh, right, territories. That's right. that's a thing." Um, and so that sort of sparked this idea. I thought, you know, this is this is supposed to be my area of expertise, right? Sort mm -hmm. of American studies, um, all this history, and did a little bit of googling. Thought, you know, this is these are really interesting places. I should go see them myself. Um, and, and no one had really written this book before, which is another mm -hmm. thing that you worry about as a writer is, has anyone already written this? Um, and it turns out the answer is no. And so was, was your travel to any one of these places more surprising than others? Yeah. So all of the territories have a really interesting combination of what we would think of as sort of like familiar American culture. Um, and then, and then their own region, right? So like, the U.S. Virgin Islands, one of the very first things that I saw as we're driving in from the airport was there's a, a big baseball stadium with a big poster saying there are going to be some major league stars appearing in a couple of weeks. 
Um, you know, you, you kind of expect that as in part of the USA. But then a couple blocks away was a big cricket ground. Um, <laughs> and the U.S. Virgin Islands are, are part of the, the West Indies cricket team, which is one of the most successful cricket teams in the world. Um, and so you, you don't think of any part of the USA as being, you know, a, a cricket hotbed, much less being both a popular spot for baseball and for cricket. And mm-hmm. so there are a lot of things like that across the territories where, um, you know, there is something familiar and then something completely different. Now, you, you write a little bit about, um, you know, their thinking and the various territories on the possibility of statehood. But in general, were you surprised at the feelings from place to place on on the idea of, of achieving statehood? Yeah, well, I was I was surprised by sort of the level of complexity on that because there's no cut and dried answer, mm-hmm. right? So, and, and it varies from, from place to place. You know, Puerto Rico certainly has has the biggest debate. I met a lot of people who were very strongly in favor of becoming an independent nation. They want nothing to do with the USA. Um, plenty of other people want to become a state, and, you know, certainly they have the, the population and, and everything that, you know, they would, they would fit right in. Um, I think they would be about 29th or so um, population-wise. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's really complicated, and it's, all, it's always changing as well. So, for example, Guam right now has, has a, an independence moving, movement that's starting to, get, to pick up some steam. Um, but, again, even there, you still have some people who want to keep things the same, and you have some people who, who want statehood. So um, there's, there's not really an, an easy answer there. Yeah. Now, which of these territories would you say, if you had to pick one to say, is the most American, what would you say? Possibly Guam. They have the world's largest Kmart is on Guam. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I took a tour of the island with, with uh, a military veterans motorcycle club. Um, and um, they have amazing barbecue that's, that's very much their own, their own thing um, with a particular marinade that's, that's kind of unique to, to the Mariana Islands and, and Guam. Um, and Guam, man, it, Guam just really felt felt familiar and American to me, but also like it had some of these uh, cultural differences that, that I don't get certainly where I live in, in Minneapolis. But that too felt very American, right? That there that there are all these different people and traditions contributing to to this broader story of the USA. <laughs> all right. Well, um, Mango, what game are we playing with Doug today? Because Doug wrote the Not Quite States of America, we're saddling him with a game called the Not Quite Brilliant Quiz. All right. So we've scoured newspapers and media headlines for the phrase Not Quite Something, and we want you to fill in the blank. But to uh, help you out, we'll give you a rhyming clue as well. This is uh, one of our more complicated games. So uh, No pressure, right? Yeah, no pressure at all. But are you uh, you ready to play, Doug? I, I think so. Okay. Here we go. All right. So question number one. I'll give you the clue first. The answer rhymes with an abbreviation for corporation. The answer rhymes with an abbreviation for corporation. All right. In an Atlanta Journal-Constitution story headlined, Speeding Man Had Alien Doll Passenger, the driver clocked in at 84 miles per hour or not quite blank speed. Warp. Yes, yeah. warp, which rhymes warp with corp. Speed. Yes, hey, one for one. Right. Okay. Clue for number two. This answer rhymes with the title of a Monty Python Broadway musical. Okay, the question is, The New Yorker titled a movie about a Jackie O wannabe, not quite blank. Oh, uh, Camelot. That's right. That's right. Camelot, right? (laughs) Yeah, and it rhymes with Spamalot. Well done. Two for two. All right, question number three. There's two left. Here we go. 
the the clue is this answer rhymes with how you describe a monkey named George. In a City AM car review, the paper called a new automobile fast, but not quite blank. Ah. Uh. Furious. Yeah, right. rhymes with curious. Right. <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll thank my my toddler daughter and her book collection for helping that one. All right, last one here. This answer rhymes with spam gurgler, which which isn't a word that makes sense. Okay, the question is: A New Jersey radio station referred to a man who tried to rob a Burger King as not quite blank. Uh, it's probably not Ronald McDonald. Uh, that would be the, the Hamburglar. Yes. <laughs> well done. All right. So how did Doug do, Mango? So Doug won an incredible four for four, which wins our hard-earned admiration, which is also known as our number one best not-quite prize. All right. Congratulations, <laughs> Doug. And thanks so much for being on Part-Time Genius. I hope all of you will check out notquitestates.com to find out about Doug's book tour on uh, August 1st. He'll be in New York. August 2nd, he'll be in Boston. But you can see on the website for his other stops. Uh, safe travels, Doug, and thanks a lot for writing a great book. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. 
So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. So we were talking about all the things that make the not-quite-states of America feel like the real thing. So what's the scoop on the local? Well, I think one of the main similarities to people stateside is that people in the territories have this really strong sense of sharing the load. There are these really tightly knit communities of families and friends that look out for one another, despite having to constantly compete for resources in some cases. This is especially true of American Samoa, which is one of the less developed, not as touristy territories. Yeah, American Samoa is an interesting case and is the only inhabited territory that's neither incorporated nor organized. It's actually the least American territory in a legal sense. But on the other hand, the locals have a culture that closely mirrors part of the mainland lifestyle. What are you thinking about? Well, for one thing, American Samoans love football, and they're really good at it, too. American football? Of course. So Christian missionaries introduced the locals to rugby a long time ago. So when American television brought the NFL to the region, many players made the switch from a European pastime to a more American one. In fact, there were 28 NFL players of American Samoan descent at the start of the 2015-2016 season. They've really taken to it. That's awesome. I've also heard they're avid web surfers because the internet speeds are crazy fast there, like faster than they are here on the mainland. Oh, and another really telling fact about American Samoa is its military enlistment rate. It is pretty high, isn't it? The highest. I mean, American Samoa has the greatest enlistment rate and casualty rate of any U.S. territory or state. Wow, that is incredible. Yeah, and the craziest part is that the American Samoans are only considered American nationals, not full citizens. So they are fighting and all too often dying for a country that doesn't even recognize them as its citizens, which is kind of heartbreaking. Yeah, that is heartbreaking, especially when you consider how strong the sense of patriotism is there. Like, apart from a shared love of football and fast food, by the way, there are two McDonald's on the (laughs) island, the people there really take pride in being American. But what's the difference between being a national and a citizen? It's confusing. So I'm going to quote Columbia law professor Christina Duffy Ponza here. Congress originally refused to give the inhabitants of the new territories citizenship, but the court decided that they weren't quite foreigners either. Eventually, the State Department came up with the label nationals, and while Samoans chose to stay nationals at some point to protect their cultural identity, it also meant they can't get civil service jobs in the U.S. or vote here or help their families immigrate, even if they've served in the military. But on the other hand, clearly there's a sense of shared history in the territories that makes them feel more connected. Unlike somewhere like Canada or Australia, which have broad similarities to U.S. and a bit of crossover, the territories are active parts of American history. They were the sites of some key battles in many of our wars, including Saipan in the northern Mariana Islands, which was the bloodiest 20th century battleground anywhere in the U.S. And today they still serve as strategic outposts for the military, helping us monitor potential threats from overseas. Well, that's a great point. So mainland Americans have a tendency to overlook their connection to the territories, but the people who live there could never be accused of ignoring American identity. I mean, with few exceptions, there isn't even a major push for independence or autonomy within the territories. That's crazy. Most seem perfectly content, proud even, to maintain their connection to the U.S., even if it hasn't treated them completely fairly in the past. That's right. Puerto Rico definitely stands the best chance of achieving statehood and seems the most eager to do so. But even that's uncertain and not likely to happen anytime soon. There are a few factors on its side, though, specifically the population and the sheer size of its landmass. 
it's much bigger than the other territories, and it's actually larger than Delaware and Rhode Island as well. It's also home to over 3.5 million people, which is 10 times the population of all the other territories put together. Wow, yeah, and the size alone helps lend an American feel to Puerto Rico. Like we mentioned earlier, the mainland U.S. is big, which gives it a lot of diversity in terms of climate and geography. Puerto Rico is the only territory that's big enough to have entire sections that look and feel completely differently from one another, Hmm. complete with their own local vibes and cultural quirk. That definitely helps Puerto Rico feel more American. And while I hate to steer us back to shopping, (laughs) I really want to mention that Puerto Rico is home to just about every American brand you can think of, including Macaroni Grill, Costco, Sam's Club, Cheesecake Factory. They even have the first Macy's department store outside the continental U.S. Wow, so another taste of the American experience for tourists, right? Well, well, that's the thing. Doug Mack suggests that unlike Guam or some of the other more crassly commercial parts of the territories, Puerto Rico feels extra American because those are the locals' tastes, not the tourists. Oh, that is interesting. I know. It tells us that the reason Puerto Rico is home to the highest concentration of Walmarts in the world (laughs) is not because it's trying to appeal to outsiders with American tastes. It's because they're trying to appeal to Americans, or in other words, to themselves. I like that. Still the most American places in the world. So those are in America? Is that cheating? (laughs) Well, it's something we could all probably stand to remember more often. Until we can easily rattle off the territories and their capitals like we do for states, I'm going to have to give us a pass. But one case where cheating is never tolerated, the part-time genius backed off. What do you say, Will? All right, bring it on. So Shoichi Yokoi, a Japanese sergeant during World War II, was stationed in Guam when the war ended. The only problem... He didn't know the war ended and hid in the jungles for nearly 28 years. Oh, my God. He survived on a diet of frogs, rats, and other small animals. So what happened when he was finally found by a couple of hunters in 1972? He was allowed to return to Japan and live out the rest of his life as a celebrity. (laughs) (laughs) So what are some of the most American places in the States? Going by name alone, there are quite a few cities worthy of the title, including three named Independence, two named Freedom, (laughs) and a whopping nine named Liberty. Not to mention the ones that crib directly from the country's name, such as American Fork, Utah, American Falls City, Idaho, and American Canyon, California. Do you know in 2013, Samoa Air started a very un-American policy where they started charging people airfare based on their weight? Oh, wow. Well, their weight and their luggage's weight. And when people were furious about it, they just countered, well, you'll pay less for your kids. (laughs) (laughs) So according to Thrillist in the Meguro neighborhood of Tokyo, Aspiring Japanese cowpokes in Stetson and Wranglers line dance to the sound of Brad Paisley at the Little Texas Honky Tonk Bar. <laughs> you know what a sucker I am for Wranglers and Honky Tonk oh, Bars. Oh, I know you are. <laughs> so I hate to say it, but I've got to give it to you for this episode. Well, I'm thrilled to have won this week, but I don't have to be the only one. Listeners, remember to send your submissions for our Territories Mnemonic Contest. There are big prizes on the line. And that's it for today's episode of Part-Time Genius. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks again for listening. 
Part-Time Genius is a production of How Stuff Works and wouldn't be possible without several brilliant people who do the important things we couldn't even begin to understand. Tristan McNeil does the editing thing. Noel Brown made the theme song and does the mixy-mixy sound thing. <laughs> Jerry Rowland does the exact producer thing. Gabe Luzier is our lead researcher with support from the research army, including Austin Thompson, Nolan Brown, and Lucas Adams. And Eve Jeffcoat gets the show to your ears. Good job, Eves. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Do you love fashion? Do you love getting compliments on how well you're dressed? Are you always seeking the latest trends? Then we're talking to you. BostonProper.com is your fashion destination and the only place to go for all those nods, head turns, and new styles. No matter the day, season, or occasion, Boston Proper has what you're looking for. Sophisticated, confident clothing designed to flatter and get noticed. So visit BostonProper.com now and start creating your perfect wardrobe. Boston Proper. Wear it like no one else.